Hello. Hello. A brand new podcast. Al and Files Norwich City, we meet again. A podcast all about our club, Norwich City. So, uh, let's begin with a few introductions. The Owl and Fowl bit. Uh, my name's Alan Kemp, author of Hall of Fame, Norwich City All-Time Greats. I think it was in the bestsellers back in 2012 when it was published. Uh, I'm sure you've got a copy, Fowl. I do, so, absolutely. Have you really? And uh, you can autograph it tonight, actually, if you like. Oh, well, it, it will um, quadruple the value <laughs> okay. um, if I was to put my, uh, my signature on it. Um, I got it from a charity shop, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to go up to about £1.25, so it's great. Well, yeah, I mean, that's probably about how much I earn on royalties uh, a year on it. <laughs> so I'm exiled in Bristol at the moment, so I don't get to see many games. I, I kind of, A combination of I make do with my membership, uh, my brother's season ticket when he can't make the game, and the, the other way game, I'm, I'm trying to do the 92 at the moment. I've done about 50-ish. Okay, um, that's but, good. It's good, but I've kind of I'm doing about one a year at the moment. I really need to step that. <laughs> need to up that, that pace. Yeah, need to, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, so that, that that's myself. Tell me about your Norwich City background, Val. Uh, yeah, well, I'm I'm Val, short for Valentine. Um, it, yeah, I've been a Norwich City fan uh, really since um, I was old enough to to realise what football was about. Um, my favourite. Player, probably Dave Phillips, a bit of a oh, bit of a legend. Yes, who, yeah. who, um, who uh, did actually like my tweet to him when I uh, when I said he's my favourite player and tagged him in. So that's always nice. He scored some pretty good goals as well. I've uh, maybe slightly forgotten player, um, but a very good yeah. player from his era. Um, from that, you know, from a very successful Norwich era, really, maybe one of our most, probably most successful eras, I guess you'd have to say. Like Leighton, obviously, wasn't in the Bayern Munich team, but leading no, up to that era. He left in the summer after the third place finish. Yes, which a bit of a, a bit of a strange one, but that kind of shows what a great player he was. Because he, I think, he joined in the late eighties, and I, I think when he's been in the team, we've finished fourth and third. Yeah, yeah, in five seasons, five or six seasons. Yeah, so he definitely was. Uh, yeah, so he was there during our most successful period. Uh, a and a quality player scored some spectacular goals. Was a yeah, tricky player, but really, I kind of you know was a fan of his before. I really understood a lot about football. My first game was at home uh, against Exeter in the League Cup replay. I oh, might have been FA. I'm pretty sure it was League Cup replay when I was about 93, so I was about 12 years old, I reckon. Yeah. Um, we won it. I think it was one nil. Might be 94 actually. But anyway, it's around about that age, 12, 13 years old. Been a season ticket holder since well about 11 years now. So my first game as a season ticket holder was the Colchester, the seven seven one or whatever it was. Wow. When, um, this always used to play sport um, at a very high level, and um, and uh, I um, particularly hockey, I particularly believe. hockey. Yeah, you're, I was you're very modest. With your I was yeah. I mean, obviously, um, I reached the dizzy heights. The Magpies third team vice captain. You know, so something from my CV there. So that's in football terms that'd be the equivalent of conference, would you say? No. Nice. I mean much <laughs> as I love to claim that and the truth is that's the equivalent to probably Holston Town. Um I played I played football I played hockey and I always said I'd get a season ticket when I could no longer play sport which um which yeah. happened when I was about twenty eight. So that's when I bought a ticket and my first game was seven one against Colchester but You have... weren't the um the, the the chap on the pitch thrown 
you took it away. No, I mean, I didn't quite see the point of that, really. I understand his yeah. frustration, but I'm not sure that Brian Gunn needed someone to invade the pitch yeah. for him to realise uh, yeah. the situation was not going according to plan. Um, but, I, I mean, I must say, I've been uh, a season ticket holder probably for maybe the most exciting time as an Irish fan, certainly in recent years, obviously. Yeah. Since our relegation in '95, was it a championship yeah. or was it still League One then, or whatever? Uh, anyway, yeah. to the second tier, um, it's been a pretty dreadful time. Other than the blip in 2002, three time, you know, when yeah. we won the league. Other than that, it's been a pretty slow decline to League One. Obviously, then I got my season ticket, out, and it's been it's been a roller coaster since yeah. then. Yeah, it, it has. That's a term that's used a lot, but I think you struggle to find another club. Well, there aren't many clubs that in that period have had so many promotions and relegations yet in that short time. I mean, a lot of clubs you'd probably be looking at maybe one or two and then a few mid-table finishers. Um, Great once, time. And once you get one, it's quite hard to give up. I, I've never had one myself. The season I can imagine, Yeah, it sort of yeah. It becomes part of your life, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely it does. And you look forward to it. It's yeah. what you do. So I go with my dad and my sister, if, if you're not around. I go with my dad and my sister usually. And it's, yeah, it's a really good time. Well, we actually will sit in separate seats around the ground, but we travel up together. Yeah, we have um, quite a regimented pre-match routine. I pick foul up at normally at mid, midday. Yeah. High, high noon from the bus stop. Yeah, you normally get a midday and only about five past. You or, know. or if foul's um, driving, he'll, he'll do likewise. Yeah. Park up at the um, <laughs> county hall. Normally in the first pub for one-ish. Yeah, that's um, normally the plan. Like to mix it up a bit, don't we? I think the last time we met, we went on a hike around Norwich trying to find a uh, pub, yeah. which yeah, turns out didn't really exist. Yeah, sorry, yeah, we went. We were trying to find the Fat Cat, which um, is out west somewhere. Yeah. And um, gave up, didn't we? Okay, it wasn't quite a coming we playing. Was it Liverpool? It was, yeah, yeah. Yes, it seems many seasons ago now, because obviously with what's happened, it distorts time, I think. Um, yeah, that was mid-February, Liverpool. Yeah, that's right. Um, and we, yeah, we we normally dissect the team and like every other fan, I guess, before games. Mm-hmm. And then we roll up to the ground. We go in our different seats, as as you say. That seems to be quite common now. Probably one of the the downsides to Cairo being full every week. It, it, I imagine you get pockets of people sitting on their own. Yeah, um, yeah, and they got mates sitting few rows away or, or but that's that's kind of the, the nature or, or one of the byproducts of the success isn't it of, of, of the club uh yeah basically yeah and, and you know that's great to see it's lovely to see a carrow road you know mainly full every week um you know obviously ideally you'd like to sit with your mates every week but um uh, at the same time it just goes to show i think it's a neil Gar- neil doncaster wasn't he got that mm. got that ball in motion by getting kids in cheap and getting them addicted young yeah i think Norwich has been so impressive because when I was growing up um, and at first going, they were regularly top flight team. You'd be lucky to get 15,000 in there. Biggest, the biggest crowds I remember were early 20s, 20,000. And, and that was a great side. I mean, I know football's become more popular in many ways since then with the facilities mm. improving. But I think what Norwich have done is pretty incredible and pretty unique when you look at the clubs around the country to increase their not capacity but to increase their um, fan base to that that level week in week out and I think it's the consistency consistency which is impressive because a lot of clubs and certainly you know we use this term big clubs a lot and yeah when they're buzzing and on a good day they'll get more than Norwich 
but on a bad day they'll get less. It's it yeah. just swings a lot more. Whereas so, Norwich, it's it's just that consistency. Whatever league, whoever they're playing, yeah. And I don't, yeah, I don't quite know how the club made that big step up um, yeah, no. from a fifteen thousand to twenty six thousand sellout. Uh, irrelevant of what league we're in, where you know how we're playing, how the club's doing. It's yeah, it's good to see. I remember the first my first day as a as a season ticket holder. I did spend the most of the last the season prior to that going or uh, casually every week. Um, but yeah, my first, obviously, Colchester at home, League One. So obviously, opening day of the season is usually popular at home. Yeah. But that was like, you know, Norwich's lowest league start in 50-odd years, I should imagine. Yeah. And uh, it was still full to the rafters and for the first half hour. <laughs> yeah. And what you would have noticed in the old days is their next home game, 10,000 would have dropped off the gate. Exactly. But... Yeah, that didn't happen. It it's, uh, yeah, whether we're playing Man City or you know Rotherham, with all due respect, Rotherham, um, yeah. you're getting twenty five thousand every week minimum. You know, it, yeah. it varies by maybe fifteen hundred people, and obviously yeah. a lot of that is to do with the away fans. They're not necessarily going to take a flat vacation. Yeah, no, it's, it's um, impressive. Long, yeah, hopefully long may it continue. Um, so yeah, we're a bit a bit background really before we get into episode one. So last season. As part of their pre-match build-up, I published a series of weekly articles on the um, fantastic, well-respected Norwich City Football Club website or, or blog. I don't know the difference between the two terms. My Football Writer, which you're, you're familiar with. I'm a reader. Yeah, a reader. big fan of it. Yeah, yeah, crack, absolutely cracking site. Yeah, I've done a bit of writing, obviously, before with my book, and I've, I've done various articles for, for national sites, so... Great to write articles specifically on Norwich because that's my my club. It makes a big difference, and yeah, it was good to do. This was very structured in terms of it was a weekly article. Look at basically looking back at the history between ourselves and our upcoming opponents. Um, so yeah, looking at big games, historic moments, any player connections, any trends, quirks, any big talking points that came out. It, I always say it's one who likes a, a bit of nostalgia. Uh, who, who doesn't? I know you're, you're not quite so into the history as, as myself. But. Uh, I like reading your work. I'll, I'll, I'll say that much. I mean, it is very interesting. My knowledge of, uh, if I'm honest with you, my, my knowledge of Norwich City doesn't really go back past the 90s. Uh, other than that, obviously, I know, you know, uh, yeah. some of the, like Martin Peters, obviously, everyone knows yes. all about Martin Peters. And, you know, obviously... Some of the more famous players we've had, um, but I don't, I've never seen them play, so it's very hard for me to judge them. Um, but uh, yeah, um, well, you're seen... you a modern day expert. Modern that's day where, expert, gonna... yeah, Grant Holt era. No, I mean, that's uh, where you're going to add value. Well, maybe we hope, <laughs> we hope. So yeah, so I thought this it was a great. I feel a bit guilty saying this, but it was a real bonus for me personally. Um, our depression relegation last season. Because it gave me this opportunity to do a second series covering all the teams in the Championship. And obviously, if we were still in the Premier League, then yeah, I'd already covered that, so that would have been boring. It'd been it, yeah. There'd be had, no, nothing more to add. Just had Leeds and West Brom to add. Always. Yes, and whoever finished playoffs, I think <laughs> we won it. Both. Yeah, that was a real bonus for me. I, you know, silver linings and, and that. Yeah, I mean, it's an awful season, but um, great. It gave me the opportunity to do a second series, so I'll be publishing those articles as part of the pre-match build-up on my football writer. Uh, but yeah, in addition, I thought, yeah, what an opportunity to do a podcast. That's, that's what it's all about these days, isn't it? It's a bit more than a pen and paper job, isn't it? People want 
you know, people want to download podcasts. Uh, absolutely, That's... it's where it is. It's where it's where you know all the, all the kids are going these <laughs> days. So yeah, Fowl's also uh, our sort of uh, expert on the the current trends with the youth. Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm I'm really I'm really I'm I'm with it. He is. He is. Fowl. So I think I said to you this this podcast is more about looking at a bit of history and and talking about our opponents rather than dissecting last season and looking ahead to this season. We have the uh, the boys at the Pinkin, who are very good at all that sort of stuff. That's, Excellent, that's yeah. That. Love reading their stuff. Yeah. So, um, But it would be a bit weird just to dive into um, a Norwich City podcast without saying, last season, where did it go wrong, in, in your opinion? I think... It's very often that, I mean, there's a number of things that went wrong, obviously. I always think for a successful season, a lot of things have to go right. Things have to go your way. Luck has to be on your side. And we had exactly the opposite of that last season. I know that there's always this thing with football that you shouldn't use injuries as an excuse. But I personally think it's an entirely valid excuse. I mean, if, if, if Virgil van Dijk is injured all season, Liverpool don't get near the league, in my opinion. So I think it's entirely valid that, you know... If, and But it's not just van Dijk, it's van Dijk and... Uh, well, Robinson. Robinson, really. Oh, we'll say yeah, you, but yeah, it's like two. If they missed two of there, if you got the two and a half, so Norwich yeah. basically spent all season really without uh, a proper fit and a half. I mean, Ben Godfrey, quality player. I don't not sure he's quite a Premier League quality centre half yet. Is going to be. He's going to be an absolutely fantastic player. He's athletic. Agreed. He's a great footballer. He's a fantastic, talented footballer. I'm not sure he's quite there as a centre back. At this moment, I felt he was trying to learn his trade a little bit, and the Premier League is the hardest stage in the world to be learning a trade. I think if he had a Zimmerman or even Hanley fit for the majority of the season beside him, I think we'd have been all right. I do think it is those fine lines. Obviously, we had Amadou. Amadou was Amadou, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. He, he looks. He obviously looked like a makeshift centre half because that's exactly what he was. And against Villa at home, for example, I remember watching that game and. Everything went wrong, and I was just looking around thinking, I just don't know how we can change it, because we had all the centre-halves out injured, when he had Godfrey there, I think they had Godfrey there, if I remember rightly, and the balls were pouring through the midfield, but we didn't have any holding midfielder, because yeah. Teti was out injured, Amadou was obviously um, in defence, yeah. and you know we had Leitner in midfield, he was just getting overrun. And I'm a huge fan of Lightner, but he just he's he just never not... gets the ball away. I no, he, he doesn't. That except once, he did quite yeah. a few times that game, but I yeah. just felt it wasn't really his fault. And I just, you know, it's one of those games where I just felt, you know, what we just can't do anything about this. We're so short of players in crucial positions. The only guy we had a young lad on the bench was centre half. Fen... Fen... Yeah, I, I don't can't remember. His he name. never got a look in any ends, did he? I felt that he could have come on and moved Amadou into midfield. That's what I'd have probably done. On the other hand, I don't. I've never seen uh, the young lad play, so I don't think Farker is the sort of manager who's afraid to chuck yeah. youth on if they're if they're ready. So maybe this um, wasn't quite Aaron's there. Aaron's at Portman Road. Hundred percent springs to mind. Yeah, exactly. He wasn't. You know, obviously uh, Jamal Lewis uh, as well. The previous yeah. season, we didn't sign a left back because the new Jamal Lewis is coming through. So if the youth is good enough, I think he brought him on. So uh, for me, injuries made a was a big part of it and the, the confidence gets knocked and the Premier League is a punishing league isn't it Yeah, that's the thing yeah. the championship you lose a game it doesn't matter against who you can lose against anyone but you know that in three days time Tuesday night you've got a chance to put it yeah. right and you can beat anyone but like you know like against in the Premier League you lose to Burnley then you look at your next game it's like well, Man United away then you've got like Arsenal at home or something yeah. it's just like it's relentless. just relentless 
So it's tough, and a lot of things went wrong. We got into ruts. Uh, for me, the problem was midfield. I thought both going forward and defensively, I think a lot of the problems were rooted in, in midfield. Uh, set pieces were an issue. But I understand what Fark uh, was saying about the defence, that physically we didn't have a big enough team to compete man-to-man. I get that. Yeah, it's just, at the end of the day, we didn't have a deep enough squads. We're financially limited. It was just, just a tough league, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I think my take on it, there's two aspects for me that I think kind of turned our hand. Firstly, I think lockdown had an effect in that we we played well in December and probably had picked up the points we could. We we kind of took that forward into into January. Yeah, we had a few wobbles, but I remember we beat Leicester at home. All right, we had a bit of luck, but, you know, we, we beat them. At the end of the day, we played pretty well against Leicester. Yeah, it was decent, a decent performance against a good side. Yeah, exactly. And then we went to Spurs and beat them in the cup. And again, I thought we, I thought we played really well against Spurs. Covid away. Them. I was there. Yeah, I was you there. Were there, weren't you? Um, all right. The last game we lost one 0 uh, Sheffield United. But to be fair, I mean, most teams took a beating up there that last season, and we did have chances. I just think if we played Southampton when we were due to play them, it would have been a different performance. Maybe not result, but different performance than when we did play them three months later. Yeah. And, all right, n- we'll never know. No, uh, I agree, 100%. I thought that, um, I agree with everything you said. I thought we played, played pretty well uh, December and January, actually. I thought we looked pretty decent. Uh, not maybe getting the results. I remember Palace at home. All right, we weren't brilliant against Palace, but we just, you know, VAR uh, didn't screw us. I was going to say screw us. That's not true. The goal was rightfully ruled to yeah. be correct on VAR. Um, obviously, Tottenham at home, we were screwed by VAR then. That, that Pookie offside was ridiculous. And that, that was going to be my second point, actually, in that I'm, I'm not anti-VAR as such, but I think the Tottenham game, and the other one that springs to mind, is the Arsenal penalty retake. Yeah. Okay, It would uh, if both of those had gone away, and if we'd held on for the three points, which is a big if, we would only be in four points better off at the end of the season. But... It's momentum. It's football, momentum yeah. and confidence. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. I mean, I've got fairly scathing views of VAR uh, and football fans as well. Um, mm. I think uh, I think what VAR has shown us, actually, is that football's a really hard game to referee yeah, at the end exactly. of the day. And I think, you know, we're looking at maybe like, uh, for example, um, the, I think we saw the uh, Aston Villa May United game after lockdown. The May United got a penalty. The Aston Villa defender kind of went in. It was a weird one because Bruno Fernandes sort of like pirouetted on the ball, didn't quite do it properly, ended up landing on the defender, uh, but the defender had sort of dived in, didn't get the ball. Penalty was given, but I kind of felt either way, it could have been given as a penalty or a free kick to Aston Villa. Yeah. And you could argue a case that either decision was correct. And I felt that, you know, obviously, I did. I must admit, I didn't think it was a penalty. I, I felt personally, Fernandes went into uh, it actually fouled the Villa player I didn't think the Villa player went into Fernandes but I can understand what I was given and it's just it goes to show it's really hard to referee and whatever yeah. you do you can make a case you're wrong basically and, and I think you've said this to me before and I think football fans have kind of it's their fault in some ways because yeah. 
years and years and years of questioning the referee and and the managers and the yeah. players. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, it's just someone's judgment. On most calls in football, it's someone's judgment. And the only thing you can be kind of black and white on is something like the ball crossing a line or arguably an offside decision. So it's frustrating as a Norwich fan where you get kind of like uh, Ben Godfrey, who was sent off against Bournemouth on on VAR, and I kind of see why that happened. That's fine. But correct you know, decision, though. I felt it was a correct yeah. decision, but again, I can understand why fans felt hard done by it. I mean, it was a correct decision, but when it studs first, but I can understand why fans felt hard done by that, but then you get something like the Tottenham offside, which, if that was... If Piggy's goal against Tottenham was ruled to stand, and he didn't have the lines drawn on the pitch, not a single person would have argued with that. N- not even Jose. No, no one has said that was offside, because it was... It just didn't look offside. Peaky's feet were a long way behind it, but because you get all the lines out, and you know, Vars come up being offside, but it's frustrating. So that can be that marginally yeah. black and white. But then you get, you know, it's like the Man United penalty. You get all these Todd Campbell against Man United, for example. Like, I felt that was a cruel decision. Or Daniel James and, and Ben Godfrey against Man United. Which we, we were right up, we, I say, I was right behind that. Yeah, I, I was as well, the higher up. I yeah. could see it wasn't a penalty. And you, I could as well. I could see Daniel James lent into Godfrey. Yeah, and that's exactly and, how I read it. Yeah, you're right. Someone reads it different in Stockley or wherever they are. And that's the frustration. So I feel that football fans have to take a lot of responsibility, but also players, also managers, and especially pundits, half of which sort of haven't actually got that great a grasp on the rules of the game, yeah. are always necessarily biased towards the teams they used to play for. Some ways, in a, not in a bad way, like Roy Keane and Gary Neville tend to be the harshest critics of the team they used to yeah. play for. But, you know, a lot of them they just can't see their own pass train team and look at referees' decisions from hundreds of different angles. It's just really hard. It's a really hard so, job. Yeah, so it's a mixed bag, really, isn't it? I think you're right. Squad depth, the injuries, yeah, the far, the momentum. It was almost everything went against us that, that could. Yeah, agreed. I suppose the only counter-argument to that and the lockdown thing as well, every club had the same scenarios and yeah you know I, I actually was shocked I thought we were going to come back refreshed I was so confident but same that, here I really felt we had a genuine chance but I remember watching the Southampton game and I thought after that I thought oh, well, well we're done that's, yeah yeah exactly that's, you know but yeah so re- really quickly before we talk Huddersfield Town the next season as, 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 as we're recording this there's been no one leaving the squad seems a bit top heavy to me I'm a bit I'm presuming there are going to be players leaving. Otherwise, it's not going to work, is it? Yeah, I mean, um, there, there will be. And I, I thought the um, the kit reveal video was revealing it in that who the stars that didn't model the clothes. Oh, mean? clever. Yes. So I thought that was... I said, Max Aaron's is going to go, isn't he? Do you think? Yeah, well, you'd think so. Yeah. No, but assume he's going to go. Ben Godfrey, do you think? Again, you'd all these players... I know you're going to, you're going to mention Bredera, Campwell... Pookie's probably a bit more for 50-50. But I think Pookie stay, personally. I wouldn't be surprised if they all went, but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if they're all here. Um, um, at I the would start be. Of the I'd be genuinely... I'd have to start the season, maybe, but by the time the transfer window closes, I think they're gone. Yeah. And I think the signings show that, really, as well. Yeah, and I think signings, to me, they're always... It's so, it's so positive when you sign a new player, isn't it? You just get that buzz. How many work out? I don't know the stats, but probably not not huge amount tend to work out. Well, yeah, uh, agreed. And you can't predict who's going to work out either, can you? It's very hard, yeah. And uh, um, like, so when 
in Weber's first season, obviously our biggest signing, I think, was Franker, the centre-half, wasn't he? And yeah. he never really worked out. Yeah. And Zimmerman obviously came in basically released by, was a Bruce Dortmund B-side effectively, and was, you know, preparing for life as a teacher. Uh, and now we've got to look at Zimmerman as arguably our best defender. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, I felt that against Burnley, for example, towards the end of the season, when he came on for the you know second half, when I think, Closer went off on maybe? I can't remember now. Yeah. But he, uh, I thought we instantly looked at a more tighter defensive unit with Zimmerman's leadership yeah. and physicality there as well. I mean, and Zimmerman obviously does provide that. Yeah. As well as organisation experience. He's a good guy. I really like yeah. him. Probably our best defender, I reckon. Sure. Him and Handley as well. You've got to say Handley knows his way around. He's not a footballer, but, you know, yeah. in the sense of like, he's not going to be a ball-playing Maldini, but he's a decent centre-half. But I think it's, I think it's great. You think... And then three weeks ago, despondency of relegation. It's amazing how suddenly everything comes positive, fixtures are out. New signings. Um, new signings. And you're suddenly thinking, yeah, come on, I can't wait to get going. Predictions? Um, Just don't know, do how you? How can you predict the championship? The pro- and also, uh, like, we've basically signed a new team, haven't we, essentially? We've- on paper, we've, you've got to predict us to go up, purely because we've got... Have we got the entire squad still of the championship winning season? Give or take, so... Yes, no one's actually left, have they? I don't think. No, no, no major players, as of this moment, have left. I mean, it's going to be motivation. It, there's so many factors. It's not simply a case of, well, we won it with this squad last time. We're going to do the same this time. Yeah, you've got injuries, confidence. There's no reason why we can't bounce straight back up. But I did read um, an article in, uh, in the UDP earlier today that said, I think any... I might, I might have got this wrong, but it's quite a small percentage. I think about twenty three percent of teams that have gone down have bounced back up in their first season. Yeah, there's also, I mean, there's there's a similar amount that kind of go down as well, isn't there? Or like you know, finish bottom bottom half at least. Is like it's, there was two that Sunderland and Wolves that the double relegation. Yeah, yeah Man City as well. Man City wasn't mentioned in the article, so I'm presuming not. But I, I think there was quite a few clubs that got relegated had a difficult first season and then yeah. dropped dropped again. I think Wolves and Sunderland were the only back-to-back. And you have to kind of look at sort of like the, the, the lower half teams from this season. Yeah. The teams which not long ago were Premier League side, Wigan, Hull. You look at the Championship and we'll talk about it each each episode, but it's littered with ex-Premier League sides. It is. Um, Such as the wonder of the league, which is why it's so great. I think we've done about half an hour and we haven't started episode one yet. Ah, sorry. Um, that's no, no, that's fine. I think we've done, we've covered off some good stuff. We're always gonna. This one is always going to be a bit more general chat as we built up. Um, we had to look at last season, didn't we? We, we had to, yeah. Episode one, it's the club that was Stuart Webber's first successful project. Um, I've already mentioned them actually. So that's Huddersfield. It's <laughs> Huddersfield, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stuart Webber's the club that he. I think he made his name. I don't know if he'd been at any clubs before Huddersfield. Does this sound? Familiar file, so he appointed a, an unknown German, young German coach, David Wagner, who likewise steadied the ship and then the following season guided Huddersfield to an unlikely promotion into the Premier League, uh, their first time they played in the top division since the early 70s. 
Yeah, does so, uh, ring any bells, that model? Uh, yeah, yeah, it certainly does, yeah. I mean, obviously, um, he produced the same miracle of us, really. Yeah, I don't know loads of our Huddersfield for that. So, you know, they're quite successful I think in the 50s and 60s. They maybe got a couple of league titles under their oh, belt. Oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're delving into the next part there. Where, oh, well, I've jumped ahead, sorry. I'm, I'm going I'm to have to correct you on a couple of um, oh, I don't, I'm, facts I'm, there. But... <laughs> I'm not pretending I know too much about them. I mean, yeah. I, I, I remember, uh, obviously... Coming up against them sporadically over the last few years, obviously um, Pritchard is there at the moment. His career never quite kicked on as, as it is he promised. Still, is he still there? Is he? To the best of my knowledge, yeah. he certainly was last season. I don't know whether yeah. he's moved on, you okay. know, in, in, in this this window. Um, but his career obviously never quite kicked on. A player I felt could have done better. Uh, not is is a difficult one. Like Wes Hulan. sometimes these creative players get kind of sideline yeah. at struggling Premier League sides where oh, almost like if you I could, liked Pritchard I rated yeah, him I yeah. mean he's a great player really rated him uh, I remember Grant Holt playing for them it's the last time I saw Grant Holt or Carroll Road in a league match I believe yeah yeah. well I think we beat them 5-0 that day it's 5-1 something like that yeah. I remember playing against them under Irvine away we lost 3-0 I think away so that was I think that's the last time we played them so and it was the season that they went up it was and they, they doubled us so they beat us 3-0 at their place and 2-1 at Carrow Road or okay. it might have been it might have been the other way around yeah I think their model I've kind of split it into five areas and I think it's very similar to what we're seeing at Norwich so and it'd be good to get your your views on Daniel Farker and the Norwich way Norwich did it I think new ideas so I've talked about formations tactics coaching styles philosophy I think it was quite a big move for Norwich at that point to go down that route. Agreed, 100%. Yeah, and the same when, when Huddersfield went went down that route with, with Wagner. Do you think it was the right time for Norwich to go for go abroad for the first time? I mean, I guess from the success we had, the yeah. answer must be yes. I mean, uh, it worked perfectly, didn't it? I thought the, the first season under Farker, I mean, actually I thought the end of the previous season actually under Irvine, I was like, um, the talent we had in the side at the time, yeah. with obviously Pritchard, Houlihan, Madison coming through, I think... We just saw him for the last few games when he came back from Aberdeen on loan. Um, and Irvine seems like a really good bloke and really knew his way around. I was kind of at the time, I was like, just keep him, you know. Yeah. Uh, why are we getting someone else in? But um, actually, it, it, I was on board of Farker really from the early days. I remember we lost at home to Sunderland early doors that season. But I remember the way we played, I felt, you know what, this, this could work. Yeah. And I remember a few games where we played well and won. A few games we played that season we played well and lost. I think, or drew, I think Nottingham Forest at home I seem to remember coming out. I think we drew nil-nil or maybe 1-1, one, one, I can't remember now. But I remember a lot of negativity around me. But I felt we played pretty well and I was quite keen to keep on board of it. So yes, I think the success we've had yeah. is probably uh, justified what we've done. And probably too quickly, I think... Yeah. One of the criticisms we've had, particularly this season, is no plan B. I agree with that. Uh, but I think literally we haven't had enough time to grow a plan B. We've not had enough time almost to recruit kind of like... I mean, Drimmich coming in has taken a lot of yeah. stick, justifiably so. Uh, uh, but I felt maybe he could have been a plan B. He, we didn't use him uh, probably to his strengths. And um, Well, I suppose plan A worked so well in the Championship. See, we never yeah. really had a plan B then, but it didn't... I suppose it never got highlighted. Exactly, because, it's never a problem. Yeah, yeah. Whereas it, it got ruthlessly highlighted in the in the Premier League. Personally, I thought, like you, I thought it was good that Norwich did look outside of the box. It'd be very easy to. Yeah, I agree with with Irvin, but 
at the end of the day, it would have just been a recruitment from within, and yeah, yeah, it doesn't usually work, does it? No, no. Um, and I remember, like, um, yeah, you're quite right. And uh, I remember the names being floated around at the time didn't really inspire me. No. Um, like, obviously, Alex Neal had just left. I did, did a decent enough job of us, but obviously, probably uh, the Norwich job came along a little bit too early for him in his career. But a good bloke and well-respected by the Norwich fans, it's nice to see. But other names floating around at the time, Steve Bruce, to be fair, knows his way around the league, would have done yeah. all right. There's Tony Pulis, obviously, he's always floating around. There's... <laughs> Colin is there. Yeah, Shirley Warnock would have been. Uh, yeah, uh, he's always on the list. And again, he would have got us. He'd have probably got us out of the league, or at <laughs> yeah. least got us competitive. But I, I was actually quite excited by the new new approach, and yeah. I personally felt the way we won the league when we won the league. I thought was the most exciting season as a Norwich fan. Obviously, the way we controlled yeah. games, played football. I thought. What did you think? I thought it was I, amazing. Yeah, I did. I I've got that down as my one of my points here, and 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 again, I'm linking this back to Barger at, at Huddersfield. Distinct style of play, and they, I think the trendy term is it's all about the club's footballing footprint, footprint, fingerprint, something yeah, like footprint, that. Yeah. And I think Huddersfield had that. I think I didn't see the games, and I don't know if you remember much about them when they came to our place the year they went up. But I remember reading about how they had this. I think they could get up and down the pitch a lot. They they played good possession football. Huddersfield had lots of energy, lots of attack and attempt, lots of togetherness. Whereas I think Norwich that night, we always expect to beat Huddersfield at home. So yeah, yeah. I, but I think Norwich were quite ponderous, and I think fans thought, yeah, Huddersfield's what the way we should be playing. Be and they've got this, you know, they've got this footprint, and they've got this model that they're. They're working towards... Yeah, good side. I remember, I remember I've always actually thought... I've, I've had limited experiences with Huddersfield. And as you as you point out, uh, I think Norwich would consider themselves a bigger side. Probably unfairly, if you look at Huddersfield's history. And yeah. that goes into a much bigger story about what is a bigger side. But I think, you know... Oh, you love that, that I, debate. I do you? love that debate. That, we'd have to do a separate podcast. Separate podcast. Uh, just forgive me me ranting about how the, pointless it is. The big club debate. But yeah, I mean, I've... I, I, I remember playing Huddersfield in League One, thinking they're a decent side, and my memory might be serving me incorrectly here, as it usually does. I'm sure they had, and did they have Pilkington playing for them? There? They did, yeah. And I thought, I yeah. remember like Huddersfield at home, I think we still beat them that season, but I thought they looked at not one of the better sides, and yeah. nice footballing side, good wingers, one of them being, Pil- I think Pilkington yeah, on the wing that day. Was- was playing for them that day. Yeah, and um, yeah, so I, I, I think they have developed a DNA, and you know, good luck to them. I like to, I'd much prefer to see teams try and play football. Yeah, you know, the, the Tony Pulis model of football does nothing for me. Yeah, unfortunately, it works. So you yeah. have to say fair enough for that, but um, yeah. yeah, it does nothing for me. I think the other point I I kind of scribbled down here is that I think what Farker and again with with Wagner as well. Their knowledge of the overseas market, I don't think Norwich ever quite understandably had that, particularly obviously the German league where they're from, being able to identify quality for value of, value for money. Yeah, definitely. And that, it's, it's proven. I think some of the signings we made have been uh, nothing short of outstanding. I mean, Emi Bundir, I mean, that's a gem we've plucked out of nowhere. But beyond that... Players... Would we assign players like that under a, you know, under a Irving? You just don't know, but you can't see it, can you? Yeah. You, you can't see that happening. The way that the scouting network went out to find Emmy, and also players like uh, obviously Zimmerman's worked out well. Vrancic, one of my favourites. Uh, Leitner, obviously, was Leitner is a bit more well known, perhaps. Tribal's obviously done well for us over. Yeah. Pookie obviously has been a miracle. I think those sort of players, which was, was signed almost from 
relative obscurity has really, you know, has really proven the worth of the scouting network. And yeah. I think the model we've, it just shows the model we've used has, has worked well, hasn't it? Yeah. But it doesn't work 100% of the time. You've got to say maybe this season, the recruitment is one of those things that let us down. Yeah. So Roberts, for example, didn't really do much for us. Gone to Middlesbrough, didn't really do much there. You've got Amadou didn't really work out. Not entirely his fault either in yeah. his defence. But, you know, the, the signings we did make this season, none of them really had an impact, did they? No, no and that was, that was key, wasn't it, I think, overall. But I think you've kind of brought me on to my last point here in that our model and Huddersfield's model was very similar in terms of access to overseas markets, distinct style of play, promotion and development of youth new ideas that you get from a foreign coach, etc, etc. But the last point I made is, is Huddersfield the way that what's happened to them since they left the Premier League? They kind of departed from that model. They went down the, uh, a different managerial route. But, uh, admittedly, not their fault. I think Wagner left when they got relegated. Yeah. Um, they've since struggled, haven't they? I know I did read earlier today that they had the Cowley brothers... Uh, have left um, and they've gone for another foreign coach who I'm not sure if he's Argentine or, or Sp- Spanish he worked worked up at Leeds yeah are there any warnings from what's happened to Huddersfield would you say I mean I think I think there's warnings from any relegated team like we listed earlier so yeah definitely there is I mean uh, Stuart Webber's always been very open about the fact he doesn't see his future is necessarily long-term in Norwich. And he's also got coaches in mind for when Daniel Farker leaves. And I think Daniel Farker will leave. I think it's the double-edged sword of success at a mm. club like Norwich in the situation we're in, like um, effectively a yo-yo side for the past decade, really. You know, so obviously mid-table Premier League teams, Leicester, whatever, yeah. they are going to come and feed from us. So um, at the end of the day, if a coaching job, a decent side in the Bundesliga comes up, Farker's going to take it and, you know, fair play to him as well. Yeah. Um, so yes, that is something we have to be mindful of. It sounds like something Stuart Webber's got sorted. So I personally think the bigger problem we've got is actually Stuart Webber moving on. Yeah, very, very valid point, I'd say. Because you could argue that he's driven the, the approach that Norwich has taken. If he hadn't come in, we probably wouldn't have gone down that, that road in terms of getting a, a young German team in and Exactly, seeing, you know, seeing where, where it's taken us. Hundred percent, and I think I think that's the I think that's the key factor for me is Stuart Webber. He seems to be the man of the plan. But I remember him coming in. I was I, I think I was listening to Talk Norwich City podcast actually, and they had one of the uh, I can't remember if it was Norwich lads or one of the coaches or someone on there, but basically saying that from the moment that Stuart Webber walked in the door, yeah, there's a very definite philosophy change. Like this is not like a championship yeah. this is a top club and we need to respect it as such and everywhere has to be perfect you know like yeah the, the training ground has to be perfect this is you know like you know it's that mentality isn't it i think he referenced formula one it might have even been Stuart Weber himself but it, it, i think he referenced formula one he got in a formula one pit lane and everything is perfect you see like the garages are perfect everything's perfectly clean there's no rubbish yeah the facilities are top class and you know i think that was his vision for norwich to really drive us on to that next level. So I think, yeah, I think he's the one. I think he's an important one. His, his vision and the way he wants Norwich to play, the, the coaches he gets into suit that model. Yeah, and it seems to work. Could he be the, um, the first ever sporting director or footballing director to go for a transfer fee? <laughs> well, <laughs> Could we get um, yeah, a few million for him? So it's always an argument, isn't there? Like what happens, like what a difference, say, for example, managers make. And yeah. You have to say that when Norwich got relegated under effectively Brian Gunn and 
as a 90s football fan, I love Brian Gunn's yeah. legend. He, he wasn't really a manager, but I think in his defence, he was just trying to help Norwich out. But you take that team that Norwich had in League One, which got demolished by Colchester in the first game of the season, then he just changed the manager. Anything had changed, yeah. and all of a sudden, we blow the league away. So it shows what difference that backroom staff can make, doesn't it? Yeah, and if a player can be worth twenty million, then why can't a manager if if they got that impact? You know, it's... well, so Stuart Webber arguably was the man who masterminded our route to the Premier League almost too quickly. So the value he's you know added to the club, yeah, should be representative in a transfer fee, shouldn't it? I mean, I, I think yeah. you're right. I mean, it's like if he goes somewhere, I mean. He's probably, you know, added, what did I say, Premier League's worth £100 million. Pounds, yeah. £90 million. Pounds. So, you know, fair enough that he shouldn't go for big money. Van Dijk has gone for big money because he's improved Liverpool that much. So Yeah, exactly. As, as Stuart Webber improved Norwich that much, it's, yeah. a, it's tangible, isn't it? I think he has. Would he, would he be in a difficult place? Because he's kind of set the stall out saying no one's going for under £20 million. What happens if a club comes in for him for £10 million? Yeah. Has he, yeah. he kind of put himself in a bit of an awkward situation? Then? Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. Or would he take, he'd take that for the club? That's what he? Liverpool should have done. So Jamal yeah. Lewis and Stuart Webber for 20 million, yeah. Yeah, excellent. So, yeah, there's obviously a lot of connections between Norwich and Huddersfield in the last few years with the approach they've taken. Yeah, let's just hope we don't kind of go down their route where, where they've struggled the last, last couple of seasons. So, you had a, you had a brave stab at Huddersfield's dominant period of. In English football, <laughs> and at least you knew that they were once a, uh, a highly successful side. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you correct on a few facts here. Please so. do, please do. You're probably about thirty years out. Okay. Um, so it's the 1920s. They were, they were actually the dominant force of English football. Okay. And I've got one stat which is pretty incredible. I think it holds strong to anything we've ever seen. But they won three titles in a row mm-hmm. during the 1920s. And then the next, I think the next couple of seasons, they were runners-up. So that's five seasons, either top or second. Yeah. That's pretty elite, isn't it? I mean, I think I think in the Arsenal and Manchester United, I stand to be corrected, have, have won three in a row. Okay. Um, yeah, Norwich uh, definitely haven't. I know that much. Yeah. Where were Norwich during this time? When Huddersfield were, were the Manchester City of English football, where do you think Norwich were? In the 1920s? Yeah. Oh, I would guess that we were essentially non-league, weren't we? We were we, regional. We weren't. No, no, we were better than that. Okay. We were better than that. But we were we were Division 3 safe, so okay. I'll give you that as regional. Regional, yeah. yeah I think, I think yeah, that's fair yeah. enough. Yeah. yeah, regional, yeah. Yeah, mid-table, Division 3 safe. So, again, diff- yeah, just... Different world, really, from where Huddersfield were then, but mm-hmm. as is football now. Exactly, exactly. It's 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 very difficult, uh, and I know I love the history, and I I I put a lot of weight behind clubs' previous successes a lot more than than you do. I I, I still buy a lot into that in terms of that's my to me that's Huddersfield is still a I don't want to use the term big, but they're still a club with a certain element of. Um, glamour to them. I mean, I get that, and that's because fine. Because three in a row. Yeah, I get that, and that's great. And fair play to them. That's brilliant. I've got a total respect for that. All my point is that Pritchard, for example, 
didn't go to Huddersfield because they won three league titles in 1920. And that, that's always my yeah. point of it. It's brilliant, like, brilliant point. That's like I can't when, argue with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, like, yeah. When, you know, when you talk about big sides, when Wigan were a Premier League side, it's always my go-to oh, example. We're onto the big side. Well, I that's my point, is that they're not a big side. They're not a big footballing side. And Leeds, for example, are a much bigger side yeah. than Wigan, un- unarguably. But when Wigan were in the Premier League and Leeds were a championship straight League One, players would prefer to go to Wigan. It is that simple. So there's only so much weight. I mean, like, players will go to, you know, our beloved friends down the road. They might go to them in League One because they're a big side for League One. They are objectively a big side for League One. Running the championship, though, they're not any bigger than Derby, Nottingham Forest. Players aren't going to go to Ipswich because or Norwich, even respectfully... Because they're a big side, they're going to yeah. go to them for money, chance for promotion, yeah, game exactly. time. It's all about the it, narrow present, isn't it? It only makes yeah. so much difference. If you're Man United or if you're Real Madrid, fair enough, yeah, players will want to play for you. Yeah. Most other sides, it's about chance of winning stuff, yeah. playing each week. I think money, the, uh, the history's for the fans, isn't it? I think 100%. It's, it's the fans that, and ironically, I mean, in Huddersfield's scenario, there are no fans that can remember those days, so it's almost in like football, Ipswich, yeah. isn't it? But... Yeah. Uh, I was going to quickly mention it. So we, the first time we played Huddersfield was in 1960-61 season, back okay. in the old Division 2. Okay, yeah. One little strange sequence of results there. There was a run of seven home games that we couldn't beat them. Right. We either lost or drew. However, at the same time, we were seven unbeaten at their place, which is the old Leeds Road. So, yeah, it seems like home advantage was... Very irrelevant back in back in those days between ourselves and Huddersfield, we've we've never played them in the top division. We've had a couple of close calls, uh, 1971-72, and again in 2018-2019, Huddersfield relegated the same year as we were promoted. A bit unusual, I think. This will go through each episode. I think we talked about this earlier. How the championships littered with teams that are played in the Premier League, yeah, or the top flight. So, yeah, unusual that we haven't played Huddersfield in the top flight. So I was going to talk about, there's a couple of big wins against Huddersfield in promotion seasons. Uh, one that I remember, but, but before your days. Yeah, so I'm so young. Yeah, I know. He's, <laughs> Youthful. Got, he's got 10 years on me, at least. At least. But I, re- I remember the, the uh, 1985-86, a glorious season. We won the championship. Uh, we lost at home to Wimbledon in the business end of the season, and therefore, I think it was absolutely crucial that we bang straight back up and we beat Huddersfield 4-1 in the next game. I was going to ask you about a bit about the old psychology of a run-in. So it's amazing how pressurised it is. And if you do lose a game, can you afford to lose two in the trot? It's funny, isn't it? Like the season, obviously, we were on the league just a season ago. Obviously, we were well in control. Looking back at it now, we were well in control of the league the whole way through. Yeah. And particularly... Didn't feel the, it, though, did it? At, at times, well, did that's it? the weird thing, because the, the, the funny thing was that we won several on the bounce, didn't we, in the running? We won, yeah. like, eight or nine, maybe yeah. more than that on the bounce. Then we went away to Wigan. You went away to that. I, did. I didn't actually go to that yeah. game, uh, where we drew. Uh, again, actually, what I thought was a fairly solid Wigan side. I thought they looked pretty decent, actually. Then, obviously, as Reading at home, we sort of like we won it in the last minute and then drew it yeah. in the last last minute and so just, do you did you sense the day 
creeping in. Yeah, but yes, basically. Yeah. I think anyone external to Norwich would be said that's fine. But like because we'd won like eight and then we drew I think we drew four in a row, didn't we? Yeah, this yeah. is it. But actually if you changed the frequency of how it happened, if we'd one two drawn one, one two drawn one, one two drawn one, it would have been absolutely fine. Yeah. But because we had like four in a row, you kind of yeah. feel the the doubt creeping in but also conversely look at Leeds from that season who were at one point one in control of the league they have one or two bad results and the season turns on its head for them yeah. so there is always that too it's always that pressure but yeah uh, the, that's the thing isn't it run-ins are funny funny times and I, looking back at our championship winning season we were thoroughly in control but looking at Leeds yes one or two results can seriously crank up the pressure I mean that's what the fun, it's a funny thing sport the mentality of it is a yeah. fascinating field yeah it's a, it's a big thing there sports psychology I think in all sports you touched on it earlier so another massive win was back in our League One season uh, Huddersfield were one of our big challenges for promotion they reached the playoffs that, that year by the way we beat them 3-1 at the, their new or newish McAlpine Stadium yeah. I just felt at the time that was a massive win for us a couple of stats when I was looking back at that game. That season, they'd won three games by six goals or more. Okay. And yeah, yeah. they only lost one game at home that season. And obviously, that, that was the game. It's, it's a few big sides that season, wasn't it? I think Brighton. Were, we played Brighton that season as well. And who were also... I think they'd just moved into the... No, I think they're still up the, at the old ground in Brighton yeah. back then. I think Mickey Splane scored the winner. But yeah, those games really became... And Southampton... And Southampton yeah. were there, so I, I found a League One season a funny season. It was uh, a, a, a it was a league with all due respect, fairly low in quality, with the exception of about the sort of top six or seven. Sorry about the dog. About the top six or seven teams who were actually seriously good size. So your your challenge was to make sure you were top of that pile. So then, what did Norris score us in that game? It'd be interesting to know if you recall this name, Stephen Elliott. I do remember Stephen Elliott. Um, a, lo- a loan sign, I think, brought in just to give us a bit of backing to, to get over the line, basically. Yeah, there's a couple of odd players from that season that I don't quite fully recall. Elliott was one I remember coming in on loan. Uh, there was, was it, was it Ollie Johnson we had as yeah. well that season? And uh, there was Rose who played at fullback. Okay. I, I can't, yeah. he, he played a bit part. Um, there's also Russell Martin stood on loan at that point as well, wasn't he? Yeah. From Peterborough. Um, yeah, so so yeah, I, I kind of remembered the name. I wouldn't have actually remembered it without you prompting me, to and, be honest. And the Huddersfield team, I, I teased you earlier. So you, you guessed Pilkington played yeah. for them. Half of the Pilk's being there, yeah. Yeah. There was another player who played for them that day who, who went on to um, be a very popular player at Norwich during his, uh, his one season there. There's a clue. So it went on. And, his, and his one season was during the championship winning season. So, uh, what's that? Eighteen, nineteen. Uh, so that wouldn't have been. Um, oh, scorer, goal scorer, goal scorer. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was thinking of um, Andrew Cross, but obviously he was there more than one season. Either, I think. Wasn't yeah. He? No, I'll put you, put you out your misery. Uh, Jordan it. Rhodes played for. Oh, of course, yeah, obviously, yeah. that day. So yeah, uh, I guess wanted to bring up another important win against Huddersfield. It wasn't at the top of the table this time. It was looking down at the bottom. So this might sound familiar to you, but we had a a post-Christmas slump (laughs) in 1997-98. We had 14 games without a win. 14? 14. Bloody hell. That only equals relegation. 
or we were sucked right into a relegation battle. Uh, 13th April 1998, Huddersfield came to town. We beat them 5-0. Crucial for confidence, for goal difference, for three points. We're going to talk a lot about this player in a later episode, but Ewan Roberts scored a couple of goals in, in that game. and that What a player. That really kicked off his Norwich career, actually. He'd had a tough first season. Uh, we won our next game 5-0 as well, beat Swindon for the record. Uh, we stayed up. Do you know who went down that season into what would have been League One? Uh, I have not got a clue, to, if I'm honest with you. Okay, well, I'm only, I'm only asking you because... Maybe it's Leeds? A, it was a bit early for Leeds, wasn't no, it? No, it's, it's a bit of a surprise, that's what I'm asking you. But Man City? Yeah, Man City went down at, at our expense. The, other, the only other game that springs to mind, another one you've mentioned, actually, another Huddersfield game, another big win, 5-0. Uh, 13th of December, 2014... Mm-hmm. And Grant Holt playing in blue and white. Remember that one? I, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I think that Huddersfield were in a kit that day, so I think he's playing in black. But um, oh, I like I like the segue. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember that. I remember being Grant Holt's last game, and uh, I remember us winning quite comfortably. But it was our chance, really. I, I think I remember my overriding memory from that day was the chance to say goodbye to the to the great man. Yeah, and I think I, I mean I wasn't there, but I'd imagined. If you're 5-0 up, you probably would have quite liked a 5-1 with a certain Grant Holt on the score sheet. It would have been one of the very, very few times you would yeah. have clapped an opposition goal. Yeah. It would have been, yeah, that would have been the dream. It would have been a, a, an ironic scenario where the player probably wouldn't have celebrated, but the fans would have. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about the players celebrating against... Oh. You've thrown that one in. Um, it doesn't bother me. I quite. I'm all for it. It annoys me more that they don't celebrate. Yeah, I, I, I haven't got a problem with it. I, I can see why it's a nice touch sometimes. If if there's someone that you're emotionally invested with, and likewise, but you could argue, well, why are they playing for another team? Yeah, at the ground. So that we had the opposite argument. We had the opposite problem, didn't we, with uh, Wes Hulhan not celebrating it when he scored at Villa? Yes, yeah. Because he thought Lambert was going to sign him. Uh, yeah. yeah, it doesn't bother me. No. Uh, so I, I, it, it annoys me more that I don't celebrate. It's got a goal, mate. Let's go and celebrate. That's fine. Yeah, I think what we can conclude from this first episode is Huddersfield have generally provided quite compliant opposition. So we've had a few big wins yeah, in promotion seasons. And then, yeah, another 5-0. And a great opportunity to say goodbye and thank you to, to a Norwich City legend in Grant Holt. Yeah. Good uh, football inside, a good football in town. And... Um... Hey, we get and you like it. you like their three in a row? Yeah, yeah. I like that a lot. That's yeah, good, yeah. play to them, and I hope we get the opportunity to go <laughs> away there soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, so finally, to end, we're going to do a score prediction: uh, one point for a correct result, and then the number of points you get for a correct score depends on what that score is. So, for example, if you predict a three-two and it is three-two, that's five points in the bag for you, Phil. If you predict a one-nil. And it is 1-0, I'm afraid that's only one point. So we're trying to boost, trying to be encouraged us to go for high-scoring predictions <laughs> and hoping that they, they come off. What happens if you predict a 0-0? Yeah. That's quite harsh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a 0-0, it's, uh, it's five points in, in, in the pot for that. Oh, I like it. So, okay. So, yeah, what, what do you think um, away to Huddersfield? So I'd like to state my case, first of all, that 
I actually am a very positive Norwich fan. You are, yeah. So before I, can, I, I, before I can fetch I, for that. Um, and generally, I like to kind of uh, see the best in what we're going to do. Yeah. Just just before I make my prediction, which is going to be a negative one, uh, because first game of the season about Huddersfield, I think that's a pretty tough draw. I think they are a side which maybe had time to consolidate. Yeah. I think we're a team going to have necessarily a lot of changes. It's going to take a little. It's going to take some patience from us all to to get on board with what's happening at Norwich. Yeah. So I'm going to go Huddersfield three-one. Okay. Well, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I think we're going to beat them, and I think we're going to beat them two-nil. And I hope you're right, sir. And uh, so that that concludes the the first episode on Huddersfield Town. And um, yeah, we'll be back soon to talk about our next opponents, which are Preston. Okay. Thank you, Fal. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye.